2 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll find your place there tonight in the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. In our previous two messages from 2 Timothy 3, we have... Uh, looked at a couple phrases and words from the first two verses of this third chapter. In the last message, we focused our attention on the character and the culture uh, in regard to the church and the times in which we live. Paul described, began describing the character and the culture uh, in the first five verses. We'll, Lord willing, finish those first five verses up this evening. And one of the great characteristics we looked at was the first of 19 characteristics that Paul lists here in his, in his list. And that is in verse 2 where he said men would be lovers of their own selves. We'll pick up there tonight. But if you will follow with me as we begin reading in chapter 3 of Paul's second letter to Timothy, verse number 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. And then Paul will continue, and we'll look at these, Lord willing, in the Sunday nights we're together ahead. He gives illustrations in verse 6, uh, 7, and 8 of individuals, actually names, uh, the illustration from the Old Testament with Moses, uh, people who have brought in this type of false doctrine within the church, and that's why he is writing to Timothy. He wants Timothy to know the character of the culture in which Timothy is living. And if you have any question about the inspiration and the accuracy of the Word of God, Really, just to read it should settle that issue. The things that I have read tonight would be things that you can read and find in the newspaper in the morning. We find them in our culture. They're so rampant. They've been going on all of these last days since Jesus came, since His incarnation. We have been in the last days. Certainly, there are dangerous times within these last days. And this is why Paul has written to the young preacher, as I mentioned. He wants him to know. He says that in verse 1, This know also, not only what I have previously said to you in the, in the uh, letter that I've written previous to this, the words, but I want you to know this also, that you're living in the last Days And in the last days, these dangerous times are going to come. And then he says, for men shall be. And then he gives us this list of 19 characteristics of how men will be. 
I've told you in both two previous messages that if we look at this list and just point out yonder to it and say that's how they are in the world, and that's how they are in politics, and that's how they are in society, then we've missed the point that Paul is making. Paul is saying for men, he's saying that many of these men, many of these people, will actually be in the church at Ephesus where you are ministering at this time. They actually are already there. You remember when Paul stood on the river bank in the book of Acts, leaving the church at Ephesus, and he warned them with tears flowing down his cheeks and said, After my departure, he said, Grievous wolves shall enter in, not sparing the flock. It seems tonight that most professing Christians are more concerned about what is happening on the national level than we are on the local level within their, our own church family and within the body of Christ. We should be concerned about national matters, but we should also understand that even now, the characteristics of these men that Paul tells Timothy about are active and present in our culture. And it's crucial that Timothy understand this. He needs to know this, that he is, that he is going to be ministering in a me-centered culture. He's going to be ministering in an area where men love themselves. That was the first characteristic. And that's what I am trying to preach on, uh, on Sunday mornings about the church and our, our purity of membership because these individuals had crept in. And he, Paul will mention that again uh, in the coming weeks in verse 6 where these men with their lifestyles and characteristics, they, they creep into houses and eventually what's in the house will get into the local church. So we looked at the character and the culture. We begin that and we're continuing that tonight. So the first characteristic found there in verse number 2 is that men would be lovers of their own selves. We talked about the narcissistic personalities of individuals. And as we look at this tonight, just don't see the world, look at the church, and just don't see the church, look at yourself. As I read back over this list this afternoon before I came here tonight, I see myself in these characteristics. You will read things that will show you your own tendencies if you're not careful. Someone asked me one time, what sin can a New Testament Christian commit? And my answer was, anything the Bible told us not to, we can commit. So don't just look out yonder. Don't take these things and push them out there. And don't just push them on your fellow church member tonight. But look at them in the mirror of God's Word and ask yourself, is this a characteristic of my life in these last days and in these dangerous times in which we live? Now, I know you're probably thinking already, 18 more characteristics, it'll take probably six more weeks to get through this, but I want to move through this tonight and try to cover each of these. And there's much more could be said about them, but I want us to look at this character of the culture in which we're in. The second characteristic Paul mentions of these men in verse 2 is not only are they lovers of themselves, but they are covetous men. The word is translated lovers of money in the New King James and the English Standard and New American Standard, and covetous is someone who loves money. It describes a person who is obsessed with money, who is obsessed with greed, and obsessed with gain. Paul is not condemning work and the honest day's labor. He's not condemning that. He's not condemning 
uh, Timothy for receiving compensation for his leadership of the people of God. For Paul has told us in the first letter that the laborer is worthy of his hire. But he's saying that it's a characteristic of the last days for men to be covetous. This fits perfectly with men on down in our our text in verse 4. It fits perfectly with men who love pleasure more than they love God. They become covetous. They are prosperity seekers. And that is, you've heard me sound the warning from this pulpit many, many times about the prosperity gospel. It's a, it's a deadly, it's a dagger in the heart of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Men who are preaching prosperity. Paul told Timothy, they will be in your church. They will, they will be in Ephesus. And he said they will love themselves. And obviously, if you love yourself, and you're going to see this, hopefully, how each of these things just connect together like boxcars to a train, like links in a chain. If a man loves himself, if he is a lover of himself, it's only natural that he's going to be greedy for everything that he can get out of life. The covetous person is the prosperity seeker. Remember the words of our Lord, Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. And I want to remind you of the historical context in which Timothy is reading this letter. He is at Ephesus. He is at Ephesus. He is at the banking capital of the world. Think about Atlanta, Georgia. Think about Charlotte, North Carolina. Timothy is sitting at Ephesus. It's like these cities. It's the banking capitals of the world. Had there been football in that day, there would have been a stadium named after the Bank of Ephesus. This was the banking capital. There was riches in Ephesus. Paul, in writing his letter to the Ephesians, told them how rich they were in Christ, trying to get them to see they were richer in Christ than they were in the world. Ephesus was the great trade center. It's where a lot of marketing things came through. Uh, It could be the New York Stock Exchange of that day. And so Paul is letting Timothy know, you are sitting right in the heart of an area that has the potential of committing the sin of covetousness. And he's saying that these men living in the last days and in these dangerous times, he said, Timothy, if you're not careful, they will be into the church and they'll turn everything into a prosperity-seeking adventure. It's not surprising that history calls the city of Ephesus, the treasure house of the, of the ancient world. And so he's warning Timothy in these dangerous times that people should not love money more than they love God. Listen to the words of our Lord to the Pharisees in Luke 16, 14. And the Pharisees also, listen how Christ describes them. And the Pharisees also who were covetous. We miss that sometimes. When you, if you ask people to define a Pharisee, that probably would not be a word we would use. We would think about religious and legalistic and all of those types of things. But Jesus said, and the Pharisees also, who were covetous. He's describing them as being lovers of money. People who are lovers of themselves are usually lovers of money. Jesus teaches that one can be religious and covetous. He teaches that. In fact, the most covetous men in this world are sometimes the most religious on the surface, and yet they're coveting things that are displeasing to God. 
Philippians 3, 18, 19, Paul said, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. And then he makes this statement, whose God is their belly. He is saying they worship their appetite. That's what Paul is saying. And he's telling Timothy here that know this, that in these last days in which you're ministering and preaching and trying to help the church, that within that church, within the culture that is going to get in the church, you're going to find men who love themselves, and you're going to find men who are feeding their own appetite. Now, I would love to stand here and tell you tonight that every man who preaches, preaches for the glory of God. But that's not the case. I'd love to tell you tonight that every man who has a ministry, every man who preaches and teaches the Word of God, I'd love to tell you that every one of them are as pure as the driven snow. But in reality, they are really, their God is their own belly. Their appetite is what they can gain even from the people of God in order to benefit themselves. You see, this stuff was already present. In Paul's day, in Timothy's day, this stuff was already present. We're talking about 60-some years here, A.D. 63 to 65, somewhere around that time frame. Everything that's going on tonight in Lenore was already going on in Ephesus. And Paul wants the young preacher to know this and to understand this. There are people who have their minds set on their own appetites. They worship themselves. They have their minds set on something else other than the cross and the gospel and the glory of God. That's why Paul tells Timothy, that's why he's told Timothy down in verse 14, if you look at chapter 3, we hadn't got there yet, but he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He's saying, don't you let these men pull you away. Don't get to loving yourself, Timothy. Don't, don't get greedy and don't get, be covetous over things. You remember back in 1 Timothy 6 where Paul warned the young preacher about riches and money. He said, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. He went on to tell Timothy, Those that be rich fall into temptations and snares. He is pressing this home to Timothy because he knows what can happen. He knows the danger of this being within the church. So the first characteristic is men's lovers of themselves. Second is covetous. Third, they are boasters. Paul's talking about people who are full of big words. Now you get a man full of himself and full of money, and his mouth's going to be full of big words as well. As a matter of fact, Paul includes boasters in his other list in Romans 1, 28 through 30. Paul includes boasters there. These are people who exaggerate their abilities. If you love yourself, if you, if you are a narcissistic person and you love your own self and then you become covetous and you're making gain and money off of sin and evil, then it just goes to say that you're going to exaggerate your abilities. If you listen to people like that and you listen to preachers like that, when you listen to a preacher who is always the hero of his own story, you can mark that man down. He's a false teacher. In other words, he's the hero. He's the one you leave thinking about what he did, what he said. Paul is telling Timothy, you're not the hero of your own story. Don't uh, watch out for these boasters that come in preaching and teaching. The fourth is pride in verse number 2. They are proud. 
It means to appear above others. They look down on others. Now put these pieces together. You love yourself. You're out to make a bunch of money, legally or illegally. You want all you can get. And then you are a boaster. You exaggerate your worth and exaggerate your value. Well, it's only natural, isn't it, that from there you're going to be full of pride. You will think yourself to be above others. And you don't have the right, uh, the right view of who you really are. They look down on others. They look down with contempt upon others, either socially, materially, naturally, or even spiritually. Jesus described them in Luke 18 in a parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Paul is talking to Timothy about these types of people in the culture that are going to be inside the church, and many of them will be handling the Word of God, and it's devastating to the body of Christ. From there, the fifth one in verse 2 is blasphemer. He's talking about those whose speech is insulting, men who use abusive speech, reproachful speech. I listened to a clip just uh, a couple of weeks ago of a preacher preaching to supposedly several thousand young people, and he used language in his sermon that I would not use in mixed company. I would never use it among God's people or use it anyway, but he used it as an abusive form, and hundreds of men amened him and shouted glory as he is abusing and using abusive language, and they think that stuff is spiritual. You know, there are preachers who think it's the Holy Ghost that makes you cuss. It's not the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have anything to do with that. And this is what Paul said you will see. He said, Timothy, these folks will be in the church. He said, and that's who you're going to deal with. And you're going to have to minister the gospel in the midst of this culture. Paul himself, you remember, 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul himself was a blasphemer. Before he was converted, he used that abusive speech, that insulting speech, that reproachful speech. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That a man who loves himself and a man who loves money will exaggerate his abilities and worth. He'll look down upon others, and once he does that, he'll elevate himself, and finally he'll open his mouth, and he will abusively insult people and drag them down. All goes together. Look at the sixth characteristic. And you may have read this and said, where in the world did this come from? You're talking about men who love themselves, Paul. You're talking about covetous people and a boasting man and a proud man, a blasphemer, one who uses abusive language. And Paul said, but you're going to find in the culture men who are disobedient to parents. If there's ever, a, uh, if there's ever three words that seem out of place, that would seem out of place. But it's not. These words are so powerful, and they are some of the most descriptive words of the last days and perilous times that you'll ever find in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, Paul used it again in his list in Romans 1.30. He talked about those who were disobedient to parents. What's the big deal about being disobedient to parents? How did it get in the list in Romans 1.30? How did it get in the list of men who will be inside the church? Well, first of all, disobedience in itself is a characteristic of the unsaved. When you see men and women and young people who are disobedient, it is a characteristic of 
the unsaved. Do you know one of the first things a child does? A parent, a father and a mother, come together and create a child as God designed. The mother gives life to that baby for nine months, and then that baby's born, bringing the mother to the nearest point of death she's ever been in her life. That baby is born, and that mother feeds her, and that, and that husband provides. And they're there with that child when he can't talk or walk or ask for anything. And they feed that baby, they clothe that baby, they love that baby, and they do all of those things. And then at some point in time, when they're holding that baby up to their face, the baby will literally slap the fire out of them. And will literally disobey them. The first thing that they ask the child to do when it understands. And that baby will lie to their parents. Disobedience to parents. It's a characteristic of the culture. Any child's disobedience. Any child's disobedience is an expression of our depraved nature and our rebellion against God. Children don't obey their parents naturally. Children don't do what they're supposed to do. They have to be taught and they have to be trained. And if they're not converted at some point, they will disobey the rest of their life. Now, I told you to look at this list. Have you ever loved yourself? Have you ever been covetous of something that really you knew better than to covet? Have you, have you ever boasted? Have you just ever just flat out boasted about anything? Have you ever had pride? Have you ever used abusive speech? Now, have you ever disobeyed your parents? I mean, here we are. This is an expression of a sinful culture, not just popped up in 1980 and 2000. This is who we are as sinners. And Paul is telling Timothy, you're going to have to deal with this in the culture. And I want you to know this. And I want you to understand this. Disobedience. It's the characteristic of the unsaved. Titus 1.15, Paul said to Titus, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient. And unto every good work reprobate. It's characteristic of the unsaved. And Paul is saying that one of the characteristics of this culture is disobedient to parents. And every time a child is disobedient, parents, every time you see your child being disobedient to you, be reminded that is an expression of our lostness. That's an expression of that child's depravity. It's an expression of that child's rebellion against God. And that's why it's told if you, if you let your children do what they want to do without ever correcting them, they will do what they want to do the rest of their life. If parents allow their children not to obey them, they will not obey God when He brings salvation and offers them the gospel. I love what Dr. Vance Hebner used to say. He said, if you let little Tommy push his oatmeal off the table at 5, he'll push you off the bridge at 25. And that's about right. Disobedient to parents. And when you have a culture, and we're living there tonight, more progressive than in Timothy's day, when you have a culture where it's acceptable, acceptable for the children to tell the parents what they want and then get it, and tell the parents where they want to go, and then they're taken there, 
When you live in a culture like that, and you live in a culture where the judicial and legal system allows for parents to, for children to sue their parents, you've got a corrupt, ungodly culture. But I want to stress again to you tonight, there is nothing out there that is not in here. And Paul wants Timothy to know this also. Because that stuff will get into the church and corrupt doctrine and holiness, and it will dishonor our Lord. How many churches tonight do you think have ministries and outreach things? And I'm not talking about trying to reach the lost. They're doing things para-church ministries simply because a group of young people or children got to whining and wanting it. And they told their parents what they wanted. And the parent went and told the preacher what they hid their young and wanted. And the preacher said, well, I don't know if that's biblical. And they told the preacher, well, if you don't start it, I'm moving to another church. And you know if I go, my family's going. And you know where that's going to lead the church financially. Disobedience to parents. It's the characteristic of the age. The, unhold, the, the seventh one is unthankful, verse 2. The word refers to those who have no gratitude toward God. Put the train together. Put the links together. You're doing that in your mind, aren't you? Do you think a child disobedient to his parents is thankful for anything? Well, no. Back up through that lineage and look how all this just progressively links up together. Nobody who loves themselves and is out and coveting everything in the world and boasting about it and proud of that they got it and, and running their mouth with abusive language and, and won't listen to their parents. Do you think that generation is going to be thankful? We live in that. But again, bring, the, bring this to the mirror of our own life. When do we become unthankful? We become unthankful when we disobey. We become unthankful when we take pride, when we boast, when we want things that we don't deserve, and when we love ourselves more than we love God. Unthankful. Did you expect anything less from a self-centered, covetous, verbally proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parent kind of life? The eighth characteristic, Paul said, Timothy, look for those. These men will be unholy, and it is simply that which is opposed to God. It's that which is opposed to all that is sacred. To the Greek, to the Greek, they use this underlying Greek word to describe someone who refused to bury a corpse. In the, in the Greco-Roman world, when a, when a corpse was not buried properly, people would walk by and they would say, this is unholy. I mean, it'd be like you going by Blue Ridge Cemetery tomorrow and there'd be a body laying out there and you'd say, what in the world? That is, that's so unholy. That, uh, that is nothing sacred anymore. That's what you would say. Well, that's what Paul is saying about these men who infiltrate the church. He is saying they are unholy. There is nothing sacred to them. A man who loves himself doesn't have many things in life that is really sacred. Then the ninth characteristic is without natural Affection, or is translated unloving, heartless. Paul's talking about people without love for their own family or love for their own kin people. And again, Paul uses the same word in his list of sin in Romans 131. There's no human affection, Paul. Paul is saying, Timothy, these people you're ministering to and these people within your church and the culture in which you live, they have no human affection. When you take away human affection, the family cannot survive long. And without families, where is the church? These perilous times, these dangerous times that are in these last days will be times when people are so self-centered that even the closest natural ties will mean nothing to them. 
To be without natural affection is to be heartless, absolutely heartless. There's no love connected there whatsoever. The tenth is truce breakers in verse 3. In the ancient world, making treaties or covenants and agreements, that, that was important and it should still be today. And they would, all, they would sometimes do that by pouring out a liquid like a cement or something to uh, solidify their agreement. Paul says the men in this culture, Timothy, are unwilling to negotiate a solution to a problem involving a second party. In other words, men will be untrustworthy. Men will be truce breakers. You cannot persuade them to enter a covenant or an agreement with anyone. And if you're starting out this list with loving yourself, why would you want to be in agreement with anyone else? That's where we are. The eleventh characteristic is false accusers. Verse 3, I think, you, I think you know what that is. False accusers. Twelfth is incontinent. The word means a culture that is out of control. There is no self-control. The thirteenth is fierce. The word means acting like a savage, which that word is politically incorrect. The reason I'm using it is I'm not preaching political correctness. I'm preaching the Word of God. And the word means savage. It means untamed. It means you're going to be dealing with people who are unrestrained. The most, the most civil of human beings will be hard to find, Paul is telling Timothy. Think of it in terms of people who pounce on whatever they want and take it by force. Just down the road from us, in the Queen City, Charlotte, North Carolina, probably going on right now, but if it goes like it has the last several months, somebody will be mugged tonight, somebody will be shot tonight, some innocent person will be overtaken tonight by boys on bicycles. Bicycles. They're riding down the street on bicycles. Just ravaging. Rampant sin. But then bring this to our own life. Do you and I have any untameness about us? Is there any part of our life where we are just unrestrained? There's nothing that, there's nothing that holds us back. We're going to go for what we want, and we're going to get it. It's the culture. The 14th characteristic is despisers of those that are good. It goes hand in hand with loving yourself. When you love yourself... You hate God and you hate good and you hate people that are doing good for the glory of God. Despisers of those that are good. I think the prophet Isaiah summed it up best in his day to Israel when he said in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The 15th characteristic in verse 4 is traitors. This describes men who betray others' trust. It describes someone who is untrue to what, to what should be a trustworthy person. Judas was a traitor. He appeared to be a trustworthy person, but he became a traitor. The 16th characteristic is people that are heady. is someone who proceeds in life without giving thought or caution to anything. Their behavior is reckless. Now Paul wants Timothy to know these men, these men shall be like this. And Paul said these are the men that will infiltrate the church at Ephesus and pervert it. Heady, 
17th is high-minded, verse 4, someone who is puffed up with conceit. It talks about a, like a smoke that's blown up. The 18th characteristic is lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Here we are at the bookend of all of this again. These men are controlled by pleasure. They are absorbed with pleasing themselves. You love yourself. You've got all the money you want. You're proud. You uh, don't hesitate at all to, to open your mouth and blaspheme. You're disobedient to parents, which shows you're, that you don't belong to Christ. You're unthankful, unholy. You have no natural love for the things that God told you to. Nobody can count on your word. You accuse people. You are incontinent without any love and natural affection for your own family. Why, my goodness, you're fierce. All of this down through here, all of this comes up. And he simply says that you're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You're controlled by your pleasure. You're absorbed with pleasing yourself. The prophet Haggai touched on this in Haggai 1, 3, and 4. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? What he's saying is the people, when they return from captivity, you're interested in building your cottage. Some of them had already built two homes, and the temple of God was still laying at waste. And then... Some don't count this as a characteristic, but I put it in that category. Verse 5, is men who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. This refers to those who are the experts on the external. They have a form of godliness. They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. In other words, if you look at them on the outside, everything looks the form the shape, everything. The form is the outward shape, the appearance. Lovers of themselves are usually concerned with what appears to be on the outside. But Paul said, Timothy, they deny the power thereof. It means that these false teachers, these men, have made a conscious decision to reject the very truth of Almighty God, although they still play the part on the outside. They look the part but they deny the very power, the very agent of transforming power of the Word of God and the truth of God. Now here's where we get to tonight before we close. Look at these last four words of verse 5. Listen what he says to Timothy. From such, turn away. It means, Timothy, I want you to avoid them. Not like you avoid somebody in Walmart that you don't want to talk to and you just act like you don't see them and go down the other aisle. Not that kind of way. But Timothy, purposefully, stay away from these individuals. Avoid them is what Paul is saying. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you don't pray for them. But it means you do not associate with them because the more you associate with them, the more likely you are to become like them. These are the wolves that Paul told the Ephesian believers would creep in to their church. And they still creep in tonight. There's the list. You say, preacher, this is somewhat discouraging, isn't it? I guess it is. But I thank God for the warning. And Paul told Timothy, from such, turn away. Why does Paul issue these warnings? Why is he so concerned about these things? Because he knew when people love themselves more than they love God, 
these other things that he listed, all of these eventually show up in life. And as we'll see in the weeks ahead, he will go on and describe these people to Timothy. And even he will, he will use the illustration, as I mentioned earlier. And then he will mention down in verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And then here's a phrase that, that, I, that I can't hardly wait to get to, not because it's encouraging, but it's so enlightening. He says they, will de- they, they are deceiving and being deceived. In other words, while these people, these preachers, are deceiving you, they are being deceived themselves. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you stay away from them. You don't go there. You just don't go there. You just stay away from that. Maybe you don't understand that tonight, but you stay away from that. As a a Christian, you have to make those decisions. As a pastor, you have to make those decisions. I have to make decisions. Sometimes I'm invited to things that I just cannot go to. It's not that that they're immoral. It's not that, that they're all that bad. But I know, some of the, I know some of the trimmings that go with the, with the party. I know, I know some of the things that are working. And it's best that I don't go there. It's best that I don't have a part in that. And I know sometimes a church family wonders why a pastor don't, don't invite certain people here. I, I've, I've been asked that. I've been told, why don't you get so-and-so to come here? Why don't you get so-and-so to do this and so-and-so to do that? Because there's some of these things that if you let them in long enough, you become like them. You become just like them. And Paul says, Timothy, avoid these things. Now, if you remember, if you remember, back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 24, 25, and 26, several weeks back, Paul tells Timothy how to be a servant of the Lord. You remember that? He said, you're to, you're to not strive with them. He said, you're to, you're to be gentle unto all men, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. So here he's telling Timothy, you teach and you try to help these people, is what he's telling them. And maybe God will give them repentance. And maybe they can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. But he also said this, and that's where it comes in, verse 1. I want you to know this also that there is a group of men, there are a group of people that you can't recover. And he said, I'm giving you the list of them right here. And he said, you turn away, you avoid that. Don't go anywhere near that whatsoever. Challenging words. Dr. R. Kent Hughes writes in his epistle to 2 Timothy, and I quote, Just as it was possible... To be a member and even a teacher in the church of Ephesus and be lost. It is possible to be lost in today's church. Unregenerate church members are a growing reality in both the pulpit and the pew. It is so easy to acquire a form of godliness, to subscribe to all the right subcultural expressions and customs and yet be denying its power by the quality of our lives, end quote. Serious stuff. A form of godliness. You appear to be externally, but internally you are not. If Ephesus needed this kind of truth and protection in Timothy's day, how much more does West Lenore need it now, 
We are further into the last days than they were when this was written. This was written in A.D. 63, 64, 65, somewhere right around in that time frame. We're standing here 2022. And remember the Word of God. Paul said things would what? Wax what? Worse and worse. And so we need to hear and heed the Word of God. It's been many a time. I don't do it as much now because I don't, uh, I don't go in malls anymore and I don't, I, I, well, I can't go in those kind of stores. I can't, my vision don't allow me to. I get dizzy when I go in those places like Lowe's and those places when I see racks and colors. I don't do it anymore. But the day has been when I had went to the hospital visiting and, and I would stop by Lowe's or a grocery store somewhere and I would go in with just my shirt and tie on and, and somebody come down the aisle, especially in a clothing store. And somebody be looking for something, they'd come up to me and ask me where it was. They thought I worked there. I didn't, I didn't work there. Sometimes I knew where they, where, where they, what they wanted, I knew where it was, and I'd tell them, aisle four or aisle three, you know, or, or something. I walked in a store in Mississippi years ago. I've told this year, I was down there in Revival with the preacher that was, that was here back a few months ago. And I walked in a very small Walmart down there on my way to the motel to get some water. And there was a guy in the middle aisle putting up stock. And I, did, I didn't want to look through all that place. And so I asked him where the water was, where the, where the jugs of water was, the one-gallon jugs of water. And he said, they're on the same aisle all the other water is. I thought, that's a good answer. Just like I should know where all the other. And I said, in what aisle would that be? He said, that'll be right to your left, right down there. Never did tell me the number, and there's a big number on it. I could play the part. I looked it just because the externals look like a salesman or look like a businessman or something else. But the form won't cut it. We have to have the power and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you tonight for these words of seriousness and warning, these words given to the young preacher because you loved him and you loved the church. And you gave it, gave it to Paul that he could write these words. Lord, I can't imagine what was going on in Paul's heart as his pen was moving across the parchment. We know from what we've already seen in your word that Paul loved this young preacher. We know that. He cared for him. He helped bring him to faith. He had nurtured him and loved him. He cared about him when he was weak and timid and backward. He protected him many times. And Lord, He cared about the churches in which Timothy ministered. Lord, You care about us tonight because You've left us this Word. And I pray You'd give me wisdom tonight and all of us wisdom to look at this list and not only point our fingers to the world and to other people, but may we look at this in the mirror of Your Word tonight and ask ourselves, is our culture, Lord, affecting us and our character and where we're wrong, may we repent. And where we need help, may we cry out for that help and grace. Lord, we love you tonight and thank you for who you are. Thank you for these people that have gathered. And may this word find a lodging place in our heart. And may we take this word as the psalmist did. May we hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against God. Keep this church pure. Keep our teaching pure. Our singing, our giving, our witnessing, our living every aspect of us. Lord, may we be biblical Christians that would honor you in these last days and in these dangerous times 
May we be true to Jesus Christ. Thank you for helping us tonight. Thank you for loving us. In your name we do pray. Amen.